Box out of them. Box out of them. Box out of them. Online community. Radio community. Online community. Keep it locked. Greetings to you and yours. Welcome to a brand new episode of Fresh Out of the Box. And today we're blessed with an icon, a legendary hip-hop DJ, Stretch Armstrong. How's it going, man? Hey, how's it going? Good Wel- to be here. Welcome to India. Welcome to Delhi. Thank you. So how's your experience been of India so far? Is this your first time here? Definitely my first time. Um, I spent four days in Mumbai. Uh, had a great time, but used those four days to sort of just get uh, acclimated to the, the time difference and whatnot. And then... Um, Immediately after my gig over there, um, we hit the road and we went to uh, Udaipur, Jaipur, uh, uh, Varanasi, and then um, we ended up here. So we've been seeing a lot of stuff. I don't know if I pronounce those uh, city names right. It's but, pretty um, good. It's pretty good. <laughs> so did you have any expectations of India before you came here? Did anyone tell you what it's all about? What yeah, I mean, I've, I've you know, I've... Uh, I've got relatives that have gone on many trips here, um, so I've, I've heard about it. I've seen photographs, um, but you know the the um, it's not the same as you know the as really just feeling it, seeing it, smelling it, the whole thing. And um, I've just I've had a, an amazing time. It's 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 way too short a trip to 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 really take in all the places that we went to. So I, I definitely would like to come back. In fact, I might be coming back on May twentieth. I don't know if if this. Yeah, yeah, I, I might be uh, premature in saying that, but um, I, I, I hope I, I hope I can come back soon, and if not May, uh, then another time, either for work or for pleasure. So I heard you're vegan. Is that correct? Yes, I've been vegan. So for I mean, this is a great a place, great place to be a vegetarian or a vegan, right? Vegetarian. There's a lot of butter and cream That's that true. they sneak into <laughs> things, which was which has been kind of surprising. I really been told that that this was like a, a vegan paradise but in some ways it's it's vegan hell because there are all these incredible veg dishes that they put cream in <laughs> but i've been i've been i've had an amazing time that's that's uh, you know it's always a, a, a integral part to any successful trip is the food and and the food's been amazing really fantastic i, I eat indian food at home in okay. new york a lot what do you actually. make do you have no, i don't make it i don't make it we're not, we're not there yet okay. <laughs> all right so We're blessed to have you here. If you don't know who Stretch Armstrong is, way back in the early 90s, well, actually in 1990, you started a show on college radio. And for about most of the decade of the 90s, you witnessed some of the biggest rappers that we know of today at their prime, doing freestyles, rocking these radio shows. But what was your first ever exposure to hip hop? Uh, do you have? A, do you recall the moment where you felt like you want to dig deeper into this genre? That moment was probably when I saw. I mean, my first exposure to hip hop isn't is not the same time that I decided I wanted to do this. That was sort of a gradual thing, and and it wasn't until I turned 18 when I went to college. I actually didn't go. So, so just some context: the radio show I did was on was on uh, WKCR, which stands for King's College Radio. So Columbia University, when it was founded way back in the day, was actually called King's College. So the K and the C in WKCR stands for King College, R for radio. Um, that's, uh, 
that's actually the birthplace of FM broadcasting. Frequency, frequency modulation was invented on the campus of Columbia University, and WKCR is the first FM station in the world. Uh, and um, but you know, when I was when I was old enough to go to school, go to go to college, I'm a little bit. I'm st I just woke up. And I haven't been speaking that much English <laughs> the last... I've just been uh, um, uh, just eating and, and looking and, and, uh, and wondering if I'm going to survive various uh, modes of transportation. Um, but, uh, yeah, when I, when I turned 18 and then I went to college, uh, there were a number of DJs um, down there from, from sort of the, the, the mid-Atlantic mid eastern seaboard, so like around D.C. and Baltimore. Um, there was a, a DJ, this was at the University of Virginia, there was a DJ named Spinbad, not the Spinbad from New York, who we all know and, and love, this was a, a different Spinbad, um, the original Spinbad, sorry, <laughs> this, was, uh, this was like 1988, um, he would do all of the, uh, all of the service fraternity parties, the service, service fraternity parties are 99.9% .9 African American, so they're basically black parties. And I would go to them because they always had the best music, and a lot of my best friends in college were were African American from up north and down south. And Spinbad was just a phenomenal DJ. There was another DJ there named Fly Guy who was now an attorney. He just found me on Facebook not not too long ago. It was, it was a trip to to reconnect with him. And um, and most importantly, there was a DJ from Baltimore named Frank Ski who actually put out. A lot of, not a lot, but he put out some some pretty big records um, in the late '80s and early '90s. Um, he's now like a daytime uh, personality where he just—I don't know if he's a morning show or whatever—but he's more of that guy behind the mic. But back then, he just would burn down parties. It was it was like a big deal when Frank Ski came to campus. He would just kill it, and I was like, "Wow, I, I got to get back to New York and do this." Um, but around the same time, that was when I was old enough to go to clubs. So I'd go to clubs like Nell's and. And then actually started DJing in clubs like, um, like MK and then Mars and and at those clubs, you know, at Nell's I would see my man Frankie and Glazy DJ, just had incredible selections and the the dance floor was super, super intimate. Um, and just to hear these records for the first time on a great sound system off of vinyl, in an atmosphere with like the the best people in the world in this super exclusive setting was just kind of magical. And then um, as I started going to hip-hop parties, you know, seeing Clark Kent and Kid Capri was, you know, really inspirational. Um, I would say the first DJ I ever saw, though, was, was when I went to a Clash concert. I saw The Clash in 1982. I was 13 years old. And um, that's a whole other story, how I, went to, how I got to that concert as a 13-year-old in New York City. And The Clash, you know, they brought, a, brought out a lot of... They brought a, they brought a, a rough crowd. And I was 13 going to see The Clash by myself. But what was amazing about that show was um, there were two of them. On the first night, the opening act was, I believe, Gregory Isaacs. I wasn't there. I wish I had been there. The second night, he had Curtis Blow and DJ AJ Scratch. So that was the first time I actually witnessed a DJ cutting up records. And I, was, I had heard records on wax because I was already listening to to all the Enjoy and, and Sugar Hill Records, which actually didn't have DJs on them, but then eventually when, when like Run DMC came out, which actually would have been, it's around that time, I think, you know, 
I think I probably was hip to like uh, DST cutting on on Herbie Hancock's Rocket. It's all all the years. It's around that time. I don't know what I knew already at that point. I feel like I had already heard. I already knew what that sound of a record scratch. What what made that? But then I saw AJ Scratch actually cutting up records and Curtis Blow rapping to music that wasn't being supplied by a band. That kind of that was you know a real benchmark moment for me. And then. The rest just sort of gradually happened. That's a long way of saying how I got into it. It's great to learn about all these things because a lot of people haven't witnessed this, you know, in the 80s and the 90s. So what about, I mean, once you got the college radio gig, what really motivated you to do this graveyard shift for free? Well, the graveyard shift was was all that was available. Um, But it's one of those things that ended up being to our benefit because... In, uh, there's something called safe harbor in radio in, in uh, the United States. And I don't think it applies to commercial radio, but it applies to community and college radio. And it stipulates that after midnight, you can kind of play whatever you want as long as you don't offend the norms of the community, which if, they, if the things you were, were presenting were offensive and, and members of the community would complain about it, then you would have to either cease and desist or get a fine. I'm not really sure what the protocol was, but no one ever complained about us playing uncensored music. In fact, you know, everyone lapped it up, and it was, it was probably like the first time that there was a, a hip-hop radio show where there was no restraints on language. And that really allowed me to play records that weren't edited for radio, which would be all the singles. Which, so then, you know, in situations like that, you're you're playing music that's dictated by by the people making 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 the records, and a lot of the time that's record labels. Sometimes it's just people making records, you know, out of their you know out of their you know makeshift studios or you know, super indie mom and pop, and that's you know we we supported the hell out of the records like that. But like getting records from from you know the the big indie labels like like Tommy Boy and whatnot it was great to get those records. But I wanted to play records that that no one else was playing. And a lot of that time meant playing records that, that weren't edited. And, and when I got on the radio, editing, editing music wasn't easy. There, was no, there were no digital workstations. It was all about splicing tape. And, and um, I just, I never really did that. And I didn't have to because I could play album cuts. And I was, al- album cuts and, and things off of tape, um, records off tape that, uh, that weren't edited. Also, what was amazing about that was that, that artists could come up and feel this sort of sense of freedom they didn't have to modify their lyrics, and um, any good lyricist can can adapt to a curse-free environment. But but if you if you're going up there anticipating just being able to do whatever you want, then it's just it's one thing you don't have to worry about. And trust me, when you're when you're performing, whether it's on stage or to thousands of people listening at home, like you don't want to you want as few things to sort of clutter that path to towards your best performance. And we gave. We, you know, we we had uh, we gave that outlet for people to just be free. But did at any point did you know that rappers would come up, unsigned rappers would come up, do freestyles, and it would like impact hip hop culture to this level, which it has today? Uh, did you did you have any idea, or did at any point did you know that this is gonna like blow up? That hip hop was gonna. Bl- I mean, in our minds, hip hop had already blown up. It was like you know, it was part of. Our life. I mean, we. I don't think we could have foreseen where it's come to now, um, but certainly we we had an idea that we were affecting 
that we were directing the culture in a way. And of course, as as hip hop became more mainstream and and Hot 97 uh, came into the market and and Funk Master Flex was really dominating the more mainstream hip hop culture in New York City, we were kind of the counterpoint to that. So over time, I think our show became even more important because we were offering that alternative to to what what the industry was dictating. It's more underground. We were like a, we were yeah. like a foil, of course. You know? Yeah, and, and that wasn't the case when we got on. We got on. We were just playing. There was good music and bad music. And then, and then as time went on, it started becoming a little bit more confusing. Okay, what what's good? Well, it depends on what your taste is. You know, there were so many more, so many more, uh, you know, dishes at the at the buffet, right? I mean, now, and and now, you know, you really you have people arguing about. About this stuff all day, and like you know, you got some people who'd be like, "Yo, Drake is like one of the top lyricists," and I'm like, "Well, yeah, compared to you know, young, you know, this guy and that guy, yeah, he's he is lyrical because you could he's using lyrics, but then you got a lot of people that are like, "Yo, Drake is like the worst thing ever and ever because he's so he's so big, right? It's like you're you're." You're huge and horrible, so you've got to be the worst. I'm not endorsing any of these points of view, um, but that's that's the time we live in. It's like it's it's very it's, it's there's no of course yeah there's no Bible that's yeah. sort of determining what yeah. what is what. I guess it's crossed over to pop music, and it's become something which is so mainstream that you know different artists have come out, come out to adapt to that that market. Sure, of course, and and artists got to decide yeah, yeah. you know what they want to do, sure, what, sure. what their aim is. Whether, yeah, exactly. So, but you witnessed some of the finest rappers before they were signed to any label. Was there any particular rapper that you feel, oh wow, okay, this guy's gonna blow up big before he had actually got signed? Yeah, I mean, probably all the ones that did. And then, of course, there were ones that didn't that we thought would, right? Um, but, uh, you know, Nas, uh, his first appearance, uh, his, the first taste that, the first taste the world got of Nas was from his verse on Main Sources Live at the Barbecue. And we heard that, and that just sort of solidified in my mind that Nas was the next most important artist to come out in hip-hop, period. And, and he was. Amazing. Just because you said that, I'm going to actually play a little clip from your show when Nas dropped the freestyle. So, and we'll come back with some more questions in a Let's minute. Let's do it. Let's do it. This is just before he dropped the Illmatic, a classic album, his debut album in 1994. Which turned 24 uh, yesterday. 24. So on the 20th anniversary of this album, he dropped a double CD, and he actually, one of the, C- one of the double CDs is a clip from the Stretch Armstrong show with Bobito. It goes like this. What up, Bob? Yeah, yeah, one, two, one, two. Check it out, check it out, check it out. It's the Stretch Armstrong show. Let me turn on the mid-ikes. One, two, one, two, here we go. What's up, baby? What up, baby, Paul? Chilling, baby, Paul. Right, right. Who's in the house? Right, right, right. Introduce yourself, yo. Yo, this the big motherfucking Illmatic Nas. <laughs> know what I mean? And on the side, we got G-Wiz. I got my man Grand Wizard with me. My brother Jungle. Nine. My man 6ix9ine. TT. And my man Sudan. True. Big Sue. Nah, man. Big soup. Big Give a soup. shout out to my man Wade Nard, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, chill. 
downstairs, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, yeah, yeah. Maintain. Yeah, my bad, yo. You know, so I'm gonna give a shout out to your man since you know, I made, yeah. made a wait outside, you know. You know <laughs> what time it is. Y'all hear the bridge beat. This the Word anthem out. right here, no y'all. Yeah. That's where you that's where you guys are from, right? I think I'm no know. question. Yeah. Bridge in the house. True. Right. One, two. Yo, but people, so I'm saying, like, people has definitely been waiting for the album. Why don't you let them know what's, what, what's going on with that? Yeah, the album getting ready to come out in January. The name of that is Illmatic. You know what I'm saying? It's just science. Bunch of sciences, you know what I'm saying? We got, we got, too well. we got yeah. one of your joints up here, uh, It Ain't Hard to Tell, produced by Large Professor. Who produced your album? You got a couple producers on it, right? Yeah, Large Professor, Premier, Pete Rock. And um, Q-Tip, my man Tip, no yeah. doubt. He did one love. What's gonna be the first single? It's gonna yeah. be. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it. Ain't hard to tell out. I'm gonna throw that up in the air for all the listeners one time. No you know what yeah. I mean? Then I'm gonna put one love out. Alright. Sounds, sounds good to me. Yo, Shaz, you ready to hit him up with this beat? Go. You guys wanna kick some shout outs before we start freestyle? Yeah, um, Sue, represent Sue. No doubt. Yo, I'm representing Queensbridge. I'd like to give a strong shout out to my brother, Bar Kemp. Motherfucking cousin Wayne Nard, peace. Right, right. Represent, Grant. Represent. Represent. I want to give a, yo, this is Big Nas. I want to give a shout out to my man Primo, you know, from Gangstar. No Guru, doubt. No doubt. Little Dap, J. Rule, Malachi, the whole crew. Queensbridge crew, 40 Busters, Shorty Busters, Vernon Posse, Goodfellas. You know how that go. No my man Ill Will, rest in peace forever, no God. Doubt. Tragedy, MC Shan and the whole crew, you know, you know I gotta go. give a shout out to Molly my man Ma. Big Bo. You and my man Big Bo locked up in a piece and my man Draws, you know. Big Mayo chilling, lounging at the crib. Check it out now. Yo, right, yo, yo. The, the, the mic is open, yo. For the Stretch On Shark show, host Bob Bobby. How should I start this? <laughs> how should I begin? To send, grab the microphone and my rhymes uh-huh, are win. Uh-huh. Will a fortune spin around? Check it out, I'm not a rap clown. Get smacked down by the fucking four pound in your dome. Hit you with the neck plate chrome. Queensbridge, that's my motherfucking home. Off the top of my head, yo, I'm a blunt head. Police. Police want a nigga dead, but I'm not going out like that. Black, I kick the actual facts and so long. Cold as a polar bear, I swear, word to will, but I'm a chill, rhyme to kill. Niggas know the style when I freak the profile. Asiatic chow, yo. Hey, yo, on the side of me, yo, get on the mic and bless the MIC. Hey, yo, but I'm gonna pass it off to my man, 6ix9ine. Kick it one time. Hey, yo. 6ix9ine are true to life, nigga. Yo, my style is iller. Iller than Hollisbury's figure, yo. Niggas don't fuck with the 6ix9ine. Shorty, watch your mouth. I smack your back in your vagina. Here's a reefer crack the sunrise tequila. Kill the margarita. Here's a 50, get some more cheaper. The ghetto trooper, so smart up the poop. My thoughts is they nasty like the underground sewers To be the man, you got to beat the man It ain't nothing stopping over here But nothing up my Timberlands You want static? Let's have it Nickels who flow like the Atlantic Will sink like the Titanic Since birth, I was thinking too fast My first beat was with the top 
doctor when he smacked me on my ass. Uh -huh. The trigger man, I'm crazy like Sam. My skills so ill like the white Check it out now. In. One for the money, two for a pussy and farmer. Cause three for Alizé niggas deceased or behind bars. Uh -huh. I rap the vanguard, check the prognosis. Is it real or showbiz? My window faces, shootouts, drug overdoses. Live amongst neuroses, only the drama. For real, a nickel plate is my fate. My medicine is the ganja. Here's my basis. My razor embraces many faces. Your telephone blown, black stitches of fatulaces. People's a petrol, dramatic, automatic, fofo. I let blow and back down popo when I'm vexo. My pen taps the paper, then my brain's blank. I see dark streets hustling brothers who keep the same rank. Pumping for something, some are prosper, some fail. Judges hanging niggas, uncorrect bells for direct sales. My intellect prevails for my hanging cross with nails. I reinforce the frail with lyrics that's real. Word the Christ, a disciple on streets, trifle on beats. But chill, microphone to say peace. So Sudan, take the microphone in your hand, kick the flim flam. Yeah. So check it out, I'ma give a strong shout out This is my man Will, I know something I done wrote up for my man Will Go a little something like this, called Rock About Homeboy No, no doubt, no doubt Check, it, check out. it out Queensbridge, we want the drama ever cease I like to say peace, Willie and rest in peace A cool brother who's all about justice I still can't understand how he left us Well, he's gone and life goes on, you know We had a cool but one by one we go Memories of his face that were full of joy Rock-a-rock-a-bye, rock-a-bye, homeboy Reminiscing with the brother standing on the block Never talk a lot, never was a big shot It's so hard to say goodbye to sad song And damn, I can't believe my man's gone Thinking back in the days when we used to laugh Now it's a memory that's haunted from the past Poor Willie, it's a shame how the ghetto got him And word is born, I wanna cry when I think about him Three bullets to his back on his own block yeah. Not a way to go, killed by the buckshot uh -huh. Queensbridge, wake up and smell the air uh -huh. And stop killing like a villain, like Bring you don't care Remember Willie yeah. and the times we had with joy Rock a rock a bye, rock a bye, homeboy Rock a rock a bye, rock a bye, homeboy my skills are ill like the prince with a plan My brothers run from Sudan, then the Ku Klux Klan Like a kamikaze sedan, the same in one Fill the buns of a nun, for tricks and fun But yeah, I slow a verse so you can understand I kill rappers off quicker than a motherfucking mic man And when it comes to a battle, I stand out tall Like the man who played a man on the white show one, two, one, two What you gonna do when the flavor's coming after you? Grand Wizard, take my side Grab the microphone and I'll rock it out right to my man jungle Dwelling in the jungle, where must we go? Where must we wander? Deep out the skies come the MC Nas Not to surprise but to civilize over dumb men Wandering around the streets Listening to a nigga rapping on fly beats I just kicked a mad Philly style Get buck wow cause you know my style I can run a word, kick it to a herd Make him turn into a rich man Increase the plan, the plan, y'all I'm bugging out, cause the weed got me bugging, plus the gander stout, grand wizard, yo do my physical, why don't you make the mic, make the microphone miserable, so that was Nas in 1993, on the Stretch Armstrong show, and Nas and his, his boys that I think... I forgot all those other guys that were rhyming. Nas rhymes again and, and, and kind of saves the day. Um, 
But uh, yeah, that was uh, 93. 93. Uh, memorable, memorable evening. So around, I believe, 96 is when you also started doing a show in Hut 97. Is that correct? That's right. So from uh, 90 to 99, uh, I was doing WKCR, I think, in 98. I stopped doing it with Bob because we kind of had a falling out. And we were both doing Hot 97 from 96 to 98. And then I did Hot 97 by myself from 98 to 2001. And so around 96, I felt like hip-hop kind of changed a bit. There were a lot more glamorous videos, the hype William videos, the whole beef, East and West beef, which of course blown out of proportion. I felt like hip-hop had kind of became became a bit more mainstream by then. What did you feel like post-96 when you joined Hot 97, the climate of hip-hop up till the current state of hip-hop today? What do, you, what do you feel the progress was and what was your opinion on it? I mean, it's it's over time, you know, you have this this movement that started that was very, you know, like, hyper-local and really for a long time only existed in clubs. It was, it was DJ crews and MCs uh, would support the DJs, right? They weren't even records. Then, of course, that'll change once once uh, hip-hop got on wax, then it really became about the MCs. Um, but even in, in that, that sort of, you know, very early stages of, of the hip-hop industry, it was still really, really local, and there wasn't, you know, there, there, there were opportunities for commercial success. I mean, Sugar Hill, Sugar Hill and Grandmaster Flash, and, you know, there, there were records from back then where that really were selling, and, and these groups were touring internationally. But for the most part, um, the generation that, uh, that was inspired following that first wave of, of artists, uh, they weren't really doing it for the money. They were doing it for, sure, for like the props and the accolades and because they, you know, they wanted to have, they wanted to be ghetto celebrities, etc. Um, but it, but it, there wasn't this, this machine in place that was, that was sort of dictating um, what you might have to do to, to constantly appeal to a bigger and bigger audience. And I think those forces ultimately had a, a huge effect on, on hip-hop. And I'm, and I'm not, I'm not you know, decrying uh, commercialism because I think um, the, the industry and what is now a worldwide phenomenon now has, has really you know, given so many people a voice, to, to, you know, a huge, huge platform to speak from, ways of, of, uh, of making a lot of money to support families and, and, and in various cottage industries that have sprung up um, uh, you know, ar around hip-hop. So, um, you know, th there's good and bad. Uh, but yeah, by, by 96, I was starting to lose interest. I mean, the, the, the music um, started changing. Um, one piece of that was uh, the legality of sampling became an issue once once the numbers started getting big enough, uh, people that owned copyrights to music that was that was being sampled, they wanted they wanted to get paid, and and sometimes they wanted to dictate the terms on how they were getting paid, even if even if the the ratios might not have been fair. <clears throat> and, um, and then eventually, the industry kind of figured out how how to make the whole sampling process streamlined, and there became a uh, a methodology. Uh, but the end result was that a lot of producers who would have to eat it, they'd have to eat the, eat, eat the potential earnings from, from, uh, from having to share the, the copyright with, with uh, 
copyright owners, they decided, you know what, I'm not going to sample anymore. Or if I am, I'm going to chop the crap out of it so you don't understand it. And that actually was, in typical hip-hop fashion, taking a situation and turning it into, into a plus. But, um, but I think that that did not become the dominant way of making hip-hop music, right? So like when you got guys like Premier just chopping the crap out of beats and making these sort of really abstract musical loops that bear no resemblance to the originals, that's beautiful, but that's not really, that's not the hip hop that the average person on the street is listening to. They're listening to a, a music that, uh, that kind of in the mid 90s, you know, took a left turn and was made by, by producers that started, you know, just basically using synthesizers and, and um, a lot of, you know, more synthetic sounds and, and, you know, Rough Riders, a big example of that, you know, early, um, early Swiss Beats productions, which they killed in clubs. And, 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 you know, if you were playing to a, to a hip-hop crowd in New York City, there was no getting around that. Um, but I, I really wasn't playing those records on the radio for the most part. I think some of the MCs were, some of the MCs in that camp, I'm not talking about Rough Riders specifically, but just the type of MCs that, that gravitated to that sound. Some of them were nice, a lot of them weren't. Um, and uh, that was really, I think, a big fork in the road. And now, now hip hop is so big that that more uh, that tradition of of using old records to to um, to create new sounds that's alive and well. That's that's a there's a that's a, there's a huge scene for that. You know, you got guys like Static Selecta and Alchemist and and whatnot. Um, Joey Badass. Um, he's came to my mind because I was just looking at um, an Instagram feed where he was. He's performing for like four thousand people. I mean, that's that's incredible. Like, there was no audience in, to that degree for an artist like him back in the mid '90s. Around, I think, early two thousands, I felt hip hop was kind of went from New York and went down south, and it was dominated by more. It was initially crunk and then then trap, and and then it became into this thing where I think the sudden rappers were dominating the mainstream charts a bit more. And the style also kind of changed a bit more into a specific kind of like what they call mumble rap, but it's also kind of a particular style that everyone's kind of duplicating. Uh, what are your opinions on on the current like scene in hip hop and what the new artists that are coming out? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 I think there are valid criticisms of, of of trap music, just like there are valid valid criticisms of of like backpack rap in the '90s, where like. You, I would just get these stacks of, of indie releases and like all the drums sounded the same. Everything was like, it's like, yeah, I've, I've heard that. I've heard that many times. Um, and, it, you know, in that regard, I think, you know, Trap is, is at this point, it's getting pretty repetitive. Um, personally, I think the sonics of it are really exciting. I, I love bass music. Um, I think you just have to look at it as something... It's a different music. I mean, it almost should be... I mean, it's good they're calling it trap because I think calling it hip-hop doesn't really do a service to hip-hop in general. Um, yeah, there are beats and, and, and sort of rhymes, but I mean, it's, it's, it's so different from, from what, what, what I would you know, call hip-hop. Um, uh, so, and you know, I, I like some of those records. And then, of course, you've got trap music where you've got MCs actually spitting lyrics and... Um, I think um, there's a lot of music out there, and I think rather than um, constantly complain, I think I think it's probably more productive to champion sure. what you like. Absolutely. Um, now, I mean, if you look at my my 
my Twitter. I mean, like, I make fun of. I mean, like, I made fun of Pitchfork magazine, saying, you know, Cardi B is, you know, one of the most important MCs or important rappers ever. I'm like, really? I mean, can't. that's funny. Yeah. I mean, I just recently saw Bernie Sanders retweet Cardi yeah, B yeah, yeah, and yeah, quote yeah. her yeah. for one of his, uh, you know, campaigns or whatever. But <clears throat> anyway, so. But let's see, if you could travel back in time and go into the, the golden age of hip-hop, say around 93, 94, 94. Well, The golden age was 86 to 88, yeah. but who's, <laughs> sure, who, who's sure. counting? Relatively, relatively. For me, uh, I, I personally feel that 93, 94, some of the best hip-hop came out nine, up till about 95. Really? What about 90, 91? Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> I mean, I guess, yeah. We're, we can, Tribe, yeah. Brand Nubian, Main Source. Sure. I mean, that was... It just that was a relentless time for <laughs> hip hop creativity. Sure, I mean I won't argue from eighty six all the way through. I would say eighty six all the way through ninety four. You know, culminating in Nas and Biggie and yeah. and Wu Tang. Yeah, but if you had to go back during that time, say from late eighties to about early nineties, and you had to give some advice to a rapper who was about to break through and who's already like huge now, but what kind of advice would you give a rapper at that point? Anything in particular? No, not, not really. I mean, the the artists that make it don't really ever need advice. You know, they it 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 takes so much to be a creative person and and reach success. There's no such thing as a, as overnight success. Um, you know, Eminem came out out and you know he just blew up and be like oh, overnight success and. And I actually spoke to a major, a legendary MC who's, who started making records in in 90 and is still making records. I'm not going to say who he is, but he, he called me up and, and I think this is probably a conversation he couldn't have had with his friends because, because when you are the captain of, of a ship that depends on you to be strong and you're the one that's, that's making all the opportunities for everyone around you to work and make money, you gotta come off as, as strong, right? You, you're the leader. And he called me up and was like kind of devastated about Eminem coming out, not because he, he doesn't wish another person to be successful, but because Eminem like immediately sold four million records and he was like, yo, I work so hard for years. I put in the work. I I do what it takes, and I'm and I'm dope. And I can't, I just can't break past you know platinum plus. It was an interesting conversation, and and um and uh, you know sometimes sometimes uh, things aren't really up to you. You know the the, the world is is uh will will determine a lot of what happens to you. But my point is that. The artist that made it, so someone like Eminem, he's not an overnight success. Like Eminem was grinding for, for a decade up to that point, right? And, um, and you know, I've seen it firsthand. Man, the artists that make it, there is no telling them that they're not going to do it. Like they know they're going to do it. I mean, Jay Z came up first time we met him. He came up with Big L. Big L was like practically like the resident MC because our station was in Harlem and Big L lived in Harlem and, and he could come by. He was one of like three people that could just come by and be like, hey, what's up? I'm here. And we're like, come everyone else, no, you're not on the list. Let's, you know, reach out to us. We'll, we'll arrange. He just would come through and um, and he brought Jay-Z one night and that's what you hear Bob on that recording say, oh, I see you brought your man. So Jay-Z was unknown, right? We didn't even know his name. But Jay's 
aura about him was just, it just oozed confidence. I mean, he was downright cocky. And we asked him about that for, when we interviewed him for our film. And he said, I just had this supreme belief in myself. Like I knew I was gonna make it. And I'm not saying be cocky because that can also, as an up and coming artist, if you're, if you're really arrogant, like that's gonna turn off DJs and, and radio programmers and, and promoters that they're not gonna wanna work with you. You gotta have that belief but you also have to be humble and cool. You, you know, you've got to sort of walk that fine line. And I just ended up giving advice to young artists. But really, if, if, you're, if you're easily discouraged, it's not for you. Because you're going to be, you know, everything you do is going to be picked apart. And not just your music, but your life, right? Are there any particular artists or selections that you're digging right now in the current music scene? It could be outside of hip-hop, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't really tell you without looking at my records or, or my computer, but, um, I mean, I, I do. And he's, he's not an underground phenomenon anymore. He's, he's you know, ridiculously mega. Anderson Pack, I think, is phenomenal. Nice. Um, been digging him since I first heard him on, uh, on Radio Nova out of Paris before anyone in, in the States was, was listening to him. And, um, and I love everything that Keitronada does, I think. You know, someone who can who can sort of really, really has sculpted his his own sound. I mean, you hear a record of his and you know it, whether it's whether it's you know trap-ish or house-ish or hip-hop-ish. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to I, I I gravitate more towards music than than lyrics anyway. So someone like Kay is just someone that you know, I, I really, really rate highly. What about where does Stretch Armstrong find his inspiration besides hip-hop? Is there other music that you listen to or is it a hobby or some other interests you have? Yeah, I mean, at home, um, you know, I uh, my records were in storage for almost 10 years and I just got them out a year ago. So I've got my record collection again and I set up, I set up a turntable, you know, with my hi-fi set up in the living room. This is not a DJ setup. This is like a really dope system that I bought um, I think in like 1997 I still have it it's got like you know a tube preamp um, and uh, like digital audio converters and whatnot I've got a, a turntable set up there and I just I just play old records and I've been playing you know just old stuff from my shelves records that I records that don't exist digitally and records that that I haven't had um, in my grasp in over 10 years so it's been it's been a lot of fun having them, um, but I, you know I listen to a lot of different stuff and, and um, you know that's what everybody says, but I really do and um, um, and uh, and then sometimes I'll get on a, on a new a new music uh, fix. Um, I, I, I'm I'm particularly partial to to Jamaican music. Listen to a lot of it at home. I I, I played a a dancehall set uh, in Mumbai and people went bananas and and I get it. I mean like there's been a heavy uh, Indian influence on um, um, production and, and particularly 90s dance hall and a lot of the a lot of the, the syncopated rhythms are, are very similar so I think it would only make sense that that an Indian crowd would gravitate or be really receptive to a to a, a Jamaican set and of course I see Johnny Osborne on the wall so he was here so we run a festival uh, called Goa Sunsplash and oh yeah, yeah yeah I was reading about that yeah I was so. reading how do I how do I get on that bill well, next year we'll get you on that. I'm serious. For sure. Yeah, for sure. 2019. <laughs> we'll get your details down right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm down. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, 
we've been I could play. I could, I could play reggae. Yeah. No. And seriously, you, I could. What are your favorite reggae dancehall artists? Any any particular ones? Like the new dancehall artists? Anyone you're digging? Yeah. I mean, you know, all the ones that 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 I think are are doing stuff that I think is in the tradition of of the great. Right. I mean, everyone from Vibe, yeah. Vibes, Alkaline, and yeah. um, Conscience, and etc. Do you feel like there's a bit of an organic feel still? With reggae and dancehall and Jamaican music, just like how hip hop started initially. Yeah, I mean, I think there there, there are similarities to the the problems uh, in in dancehall. I mean, you know, I talked to to friends of mine who are Jamaican of the same era, and you know, we, we it's similar. There's like a lot of 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 music that is almost oblivious to the really rich tradition that came before. Right? You had I mean, Jamaican engineering and production was some of the baddest, you know, in, in any form of, of contemporary music from from the 70s through the 90s. And, and there's been a cheapening of, of dancehall production. Um, but I think um, that's a generalization. And of course, within that, there, there are certainly people doing amazing stuff. You just have to find them. You know, the, the difference was, you know, Parallel to hip hop, from like '86 to you know '95 or even beyond, roughly, the, the good stuff in hip hop—it was so obvious what was hot. And the same thing in dancehall. And I think now it's uh, you know the, the 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 digital revolution and the internet has made everything so schizophrenic and fractured that it's really hard to 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 find those people that have those have really good taste and are really consistent and are you know are people you, you could go to on a regular basis to to influence you know your your, your music choices and of course they're out there you know that there there are thousands of people making playlists and whatnot you just have to find them because it's not the guy on commercial radio in your in on your local station it's not that guy and it's not the guy on the, on the weekend either it's much more you know, you gotta you gotta dig around and find it. Like it's like digging digging for records. And most people, I think, you know, don't do that, right? They they they, they don't have that hunger. So, and that's why a lot of whack shit gets really really big because people don't have a discerning ear. So just and they, go and they and they don't care. <laughs> They're happy. Yeah. They're happy, right? For sure. Yeah. I mean, everyone has a standard, and they don't know which what what their standard is. So whatever comes, they get. And, and some people just like whatever you tell them. Sure. Yeah, exactly. That's incredible. Yeah. So just going back to your show, just because there are a lot of hip-hop lovers tuned in, and on the Stretch Armstrong show, could you... What up, Bobito? What up, Bobito? Oh, yo, Bob has a new film coming out called Rock Rubber 45s. The premiere is coming up this summer, and I'm just super, super proud of my brother. Like, you know, I could talk about what we did in the 90s, but it was... The good and the bad, it was something that we did together. Yeah. Uh, so I got I to gotta big up my man, Bob. He was actually supposed to be on this trip. Oh, really? Yeah, we were supposed to be here together. And the, the, the next time I'm coming, yeah. possibly in May, it's supposed to be the two of us. Okay. So, so we might have to do this again. Absolutely, 100%. But any fond memory you could uh, recall and just like describe from your shows like in the early 90s? Like, anything like, crazy that happened? I mean, the, the, the most memorable and, and salient moments of that radio show they're in our film i don't know if you've seen our movie we're both very unprofessional because you're supposed to you're supposed to mention these things at the, at the top right I, I i was supposed to right you always gotta like yeah, of course, say what you're no, no, actually <laughs> um so uh 
Babito, who has, uh, is, he's just a bona fide filmmaker. Um, his first film was about uh, New York City street basketball, which he co- co-directed. It was called um, Doing It in the Park, NYC Basketball. There's another, Bob has these very long titles. I don't know what the, the, the last few words were, but it's, it's called Doing It in the Park. And that film, you know, really let him know that he can make movies. And then he decided that he wanted to direct a Stretch and Bobito film. Uh, and it was a labor of love that, that he, he uh, our, our producer Omar Acosta and I uh, spit out in, in 17 months from day one to, 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 to locking picture. Um, and it's really a beautiful film about, about our friendship, our relationship. Um, in fact, that making that film you know, reminded me and Bob of why we became friends in the first place. And now we're closer than ever, which is crazy because we weren't when we started making the film. We were we were cool, but now we're we live a mile apart from each other now. Like it's um it's just it's amazing because you know if things go a little bit differently, you don't know what what life's gonna bring. And like you know, three years ago, I didn't know like Bob and I would be like best friends again. Like it's talking every day. It's, it's amazing. Um, film's also about New York City. It's about music. It's about the MCs that came through, both the ones that succeeded and the ones that didn't. And it's also about the listeners, which, which is, uh, I think, something that, you know, when you see music documentaries, you don't really see that side of the story told because it's that, it's that engagement between the radio show and the audience that became, it was just really kind of important. Um, and, um, you know, so whether we're talking about uh, our first audience, which was the the incarcerated population of the tri-state area, they're the reason why people outside started knowing about us. Because dudes in jail, they had radios and they had nothing better to do, so they would listen religiously. We would get tons of letters from various prisons in the tri-state area, like, "Yo, you have no idea how important your show is to me." I'm telling all my homeboys on the outside to check you out. And then we get letters. We'd read those letters on the air, which was amazing because. People in prison don't really have a voice. They don't have a, they don't have a platform. We gave them one. Um, and uh, you know, I don't want to give, too, give away too much. It's, it's not a typical music documentary in, in that it's not like a, a highlight reel of, of just incredible music. There are, there are really touching stories woven throughout. Um, it's a film that has elicited tears and also a hell of a lot of laughter. Definitely a great documentary. It's called Radio That Changed Our Lives. It's called Stretch and Bobito, Radio That Changed Lives. It's on Netflix, no. I, I believe worldwide. Yeah, um, definitely. It's, it's on Showtime in the States. I'm not sure where else. I know the UK has been, um, it's been problematic uh, to, to get it because we did a deal uh, with Canal, Canal Plus and, and they were trying to sell DVDs and, and for a long time the only way you can get it was actually buying a DVD and yeah. Who is doing that yeah. in 2018, yeah. other than the Japanese? <laughs> but yes, it is on Netflix India. You can catch the documentary. I just saw it a few days ago. It was amazing. Was that your first time seeing it? Yeah, first oh, time seeing it. And um, I think that will really help bring what you've done and contributed to hip-hop culture to a global audience. And it's amazing to actually acknowledge that. But what, what do you feel um, from your contribution? What, have you, what do you feel like you've learned from your contribution over the years in hip-hop culture? Have you learned something about yourself? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I mean, make, making this film was a learning experience because we talked to so many people, artists and listeners, 
who we had never really had conversations about. You know, we, we you know, the film, we, we, we step into these interviews with guys like, you know, Jay-Z and, and Nas and Eminem and Busta and Raekwon and Munch, and we, we have a, a Walkman with a cassette from their appearances, and we put the headphones on and ask them to just listen on a cassette. And that whole ritual of, of pressing play on a Walkman and hearing the hiss and just really transported artists back, in, back into that space when they weren't rich, they weren't stressed about, about the things that can be really stressful in being a, a heavily scrutinized artist. Um, it took them to that kind of magical place where you know they just really wanted to do what they were doing in in New York City and be heard on the radio and, and kill it, um, and uh, and that kind of set the tone for these interviews in which artists were like really uh, just just talking about their lives back then and talking about what what me and Bob meant to them, which is something that. Um, I don't really think we ever, we really, we never really, really heard that in, in a meaningful way. I mean, Nas, he's like, yo, I wrote Illmatic listening to your show. I mean, you look in the film, like Bob and I look at each, at each other like, what the hell is this guy's talking about? It's inspired by your show, listening to those tapes. Yeah, you know, it, what, what, so what we learned was that we were inspiring these artists just as they were inspiring exactly. us. And, and that's what was really funny about these encounters with artists. They'd come up to the station. Sometimes they wouldn't even know that, especially early in the early in the in the history of the show, they didn't even know that I was white. So they'd walk in, having no sort of visual reference to this show that they've been listening to every night. Because if you were an up and coming MC or producer or hip hop fanatic, you were listening to our show on a weekly basis, but you had no idea what we looked like because. There was no social media, and, and and you know we didn't get our photos in the source until like the late '90s. Um, Bob's photo was in the source because he wrote for the source and he wrote for Vibe. But like a lot of people didn't really know what I looked like for a long time. So they'd come, they'd come into the station and be like, "Yo, what is going on here? This is this doesn't even make sense." And uh, and um, you know. Artists would come in a little bit like tense because they knew what it meant to be on our show and they knew how how discerning the audience was. At the same time, artists that came up were artists that Bob and I, for the most part, revered. So we were a little bit tight. Like, you know, when Nas came up, we were like, "Oh shit, it's not. This is crazy. Like, I gotta, I gotta be cool. I gotta be smooth. I gotta like do the right thing." Like, and there was that mutual kind of sense that that we didn't really know about it about we we thought artists were coming up because they knew they were the shit and they wanted to share it with the world we didn't have a sense that that they were looking at us as as their influences as, as guys that they really had to had to uh had to impress right so sadly we're reaching the end of the show we're gonna get some rappers on for a quick freestyle right at the end but one last question stretch before we go um What's the latest? What's next for Stretch and Bobito? I hear you have another podcast show at the moment. Yeah, so first season of uh, What's Good with Stretch and Bobito uh, dropped uh, last year. It was a 16 episode weekly podcast where we had guests like Dave Chappelle, Stevie Wonder, Mahershala Ali, Rosie Perez, Mr. Cartoon, uh, Chance the Rapper, um, and many more. Um, and season two will likely start 
in July. We're starting pre-production right now. And where is that broadcasted? That's via the National Public national Radio Public website. Radio. Okay, so wow. it's okay. free. It's Anyone a, can listen to it? Via, via yeah. iTunes or wherever, wherever you get Perfect. your podcasts. Yeah, sure. um, there's likely going to be a video component as well on another platform. So that's exciting. Um, Bob's film will be dropping around the same time. So I don't know how we're going to be scheduling these interviews because Bob's already booked in like 40 countries to screen his film. So this is going to be interesting. <laughs> well, thank you so much for you. blessing the radio station.